Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Spirits and more radio. Like touch my shoulder, touch my hair. Starts now. And I said, what the hell is that? Mommy yes. Spirits and more radio starts now. Out the corner of my eye, I saw a pretty little thing approaching me. She said, I never seen a man who looks so all alone. Could you use a little company? If you pay the right price, your evening will be nice and you can go and send me on my way. I said, You're such a sweet young thing, why you do this to yourself? She looked at me and this is what she said Oh, there ain't no rest for the wicked. Money don't grow on trees. Another ain't no rest for the wicked Until we close our eyes for good Turn down the lights If you dare Spirits and more radio Hey, and I'm your host, Steve Rowan, and welcome to Spirits and More Radio. It has been a very long time since I've uh, hosted a show. Uh, we did our last show was actually kind of unique because it was uh, basically just uh, someone telling their story. So there wasn't a lot of uh, questions and things like that, like our typical show format. But uh, we've done a lot of shows. I believe this is show 23. And uh, I've been wanting to do a show about demons for a really long time. It just kind of fits right in with everything that, uh, that we've been doing on this show. And it's the one thing that we haven't really touched on, uh, sort of on the spookier evil side of things. Uh, I do have some ideas for a show about, uh, like angels and, uh, and also people who, uh, nearly escape death and, and maybe see something. So those are some show ideas coming up in the future, but, uh, demons are, are one of those things, uh, you know, as we talk about, it's getting close to Halloween, Believe it or not, it's September <laughs> and, uh, you know, Halloween is, uh, up on the horizon and demons are a big part of that in horror movies. Uh, I think the, you know, obviously 
ingrained in society's mind as the exorcist. And, uh, and we'll kind of talk about that and how that aspect of demons kind of plays into everything because, uh, you know, there's lots of different references in history to demons, uh, starting all the way back, uh, with the Greek society and, uh, mythology and things like that, where demons weren't really evil. They were just, uh, a spirit that didn't have a place. And, uh, and so, uh, eventually it kind of morphed into, evil and and then pagan gods and things like that. So uh, I've got my list of demons up here. Then we'll probably check them out at some point during the show. But I wanted to do this show with someone who uh, who's in kind of like interested in the same thing. And uh, I'm a fan of podcasts. And so what I do is uh, I actually go when I go to sleep at night, I pick a podcast and I put it on <laughs> and it just runs all the shows in the night as I sleep. So uh, I'm sure I'm getting some subliminal uh, programming from some of these shows. But one of the shows that I like a lot uh, and has to do with this topic is uh, Southern Demonology. And that show is done by JJ. And uh, JJ, you're here with us. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really glad you could uh, could be on the show and we could talk about this. Uh, I know that in your show, you do share some experiences that sort of uh, inspired you to do a, a podcast. Is that right? It is. Uh, although I wouldn't say so there. I think there's a, a big difference in types of demonology. Um, I take it from a historical perspective. Um, so I'm, I'm not a modern practitioner of anything. Uh, I really have no experience with that besides keeping up with the latest tales. Uh, but really, I've always have taken things from a, uh, a biblical uh, perspective and really kind of analyzed that. Um, and in the show, I'll also mixed in some other, you know, mythos as well, but yeah. And you've, uh, now you've done what about, there were seven episodes and you just told me you released another one yesterday. Is that right? I did. Yep. Yeah. So we've, uh, I took a little bit of a, a break, um, because of work, um, and a couple of other issues, but yep, everything's fully back online and, uh, starting to go strong again. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I'm kind of kind of the same way. You know, I, I told you uh, before the show that I moved and I had to pull all my stuff out. And uh, if there's an electronics demon out there that doesn't like electronics, it got my laptop today <laughs> because it's not doing anything it used to do. And uh, I understand. All <laughs> is a problem. I'm looking at it right now and I'm thinking to myself, you know, you guys uh, listening to this didn't hear anything different. But the way that this all works and all the equipment that's involved, uh, you know, it can be set up different ways. And today it's like a totally different way. I've been working on this, trying to figure this thing out for a while. But uh, anyway, back to your show. So you've done several different things. I know you were inspired to do the show by something that happened to you, I believe, in Japan. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, I wouldn't say that was demonic. It was probably, if it was anything, it was probably more of a, a spirit. But uh, yeah, it was very early in the morning, probably 5.30 or 6 a.m. Uh, uh, Japan time. And I had just fallen asleep and uh, suddenly had a dream where I, I had this so the room itself was extremely small, it was maybe 400 square foot, which by that standard was actually pretty big. Uh, but I had a gigantic balcony, and I dreamed that there was something trying to get in. And it spoke in a voice that was not something that you could hear, but it was pressure. It was something that 
psychic pressure, some type of pressure. It's, it's an experience I have never had before, and I don't know how a dream could have conjured that in such a realistic and frightening way. Uh, but it kept saying the word Haidu. Haidu. And it just, the intensity kept getting up to the point where it was causing physical pain. And then I woke up to a my mobile device um, uh, having an earthquake alarm uh, spring up. And it was a very small one. But so I'm very lower intermediate in Japanese, even though I lived there for a year and a half or so. Uh, but went to go look up this word because I wasn't quite sure uh, what it was, and it means to enter. So let me in, let me in is what it was saying, and I knew, wow. just knew within the foundations of my bones that if that ever happened, I would not be living to tell you this. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was like a pressure. It wasn't really sound, but it was almost like um, just pressure on your head. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. It was almost as if. Um, this command was being physically implanted into my brain. Hmm. It's the best way I can describe it. Um, yeah, it, it, it was by and far the most unique and horrifying experience I think I've ever had. <laughs> now, to you, when it was happening to you, you said it was scary. So there was something about it that felt evil or not right? Oh, I it, everything about it was so alien and... I knew that it was it, it meant me uh, physical and spiritual harm. Wow. Um, there's and so in Japanese culture, first uh, yurei, which are ghosts, are very well accepted. I mean, almost everyone believes that you know, in all of these uh, types of concepts. And I happen to live right next to a graveyard. Um, which was in the middle of this of Asakusa, which is where I was located at. And uh, there's a custom where if you walk by a graveyard, then you are to have purified salt in your room because things will latch onto you and follow you back. And I had just made a trip that night out to the convenience store to grab something, walked by the graveyard like I normally do. And I don't know if something just latched onto me or what it may have been, but um, I, I definitely kept purified salt in my room after that. Wow, that's interesting. <clears throat> you know, I had the opportunity to travel to Japan, and uh, I stayed in Osaka, <clears throat> Japan, in a friend's house, and they have uh, one of the rooms that I stayed in, they had a little uh, altar, like a shrine set up, where they would pray, and I guess it was for their grandmother, and so yeah. as, uh, you know, just before, you know, they were checking on me, you know, to see that if I needed anything or whatnot, uh, my friend's brother said, you know, have fun with my grandma or something like that. <laughs> something along the lines of maybe you'll see my grandma tonight, you know, because that was her room and they had the little shrine set up there. Oh, there's uh yeah, there's a lot of stories about that in a Japanese culture. In fact, uh, on Amazon Prime Videos, uh, there's a specific channel called J Edge, and they have a lot of these spoken tell kind of stories that are translated to English. And there's quite a few of those in which uh, a person would hear a sound from a room that was just recently vacated by a deceased family member, and 
they would come and give signs that they were actually there. So it's all really, really interesting. Yeah. I always wonder about that, you know, other cultures and other places, if they put any weight into, you know, ghosts in the afterlife and things like that. But uh, what we're talking about today is specifically demons. Now you started a show, you know, Southern Demonology. Why did you pick demonology? Um, so I actually have a master's degree in Second Temple Judaism and the Pseudepigrapha, which are the collection of religious writings written in between um, the Hebrew Bible and the Christian New Testament. Um, it's a phenomenal collection of works. Uh, it is so interesting. You have to study a very broad array of languages to be able to get to the nitty gritty of a lot of these books and uh, got the chance to do that. But uh, I really focused all of my time in school uh, looking at angelology and demonology because those were the most fascinating topics to me. Um, so and whenever someone would ask me, what in the world did you study? And I would get a little bit into it. Uh, they seemed to be really fascinated by the concepts um, that I was able to go through. And eventually someone just said, hey, why in the world don't you start a podcast about this? And I hate the sound of my own voice. I'm not one that tries to go out and toot my own horn. Uh, so I was really against the concept in the beginning. But the more I thought about it, the more the idea appealed to me until finally I broke down and did it. I see. Yeah. And, and you know, it's a lot of work. A lot of people don't realize, uh, you know, just to do a show, if you want to somewhat know what you're talking about, you know, you have to uh, research every topic. Uh, yours is a little more specific to demonology, but you probably moved into other things as well. Um, you know, as you sort of try and broaden you know, the content of the show, but, uh, you know, demons, I mean, coming from my perspective, I mean, you know, demons are something that you see in horror movies. Uh, you know, I don't know anyone who's ever been possessed. I don't know if demons are real in that sense. You know, there's probably people who, you know, believe in demons and what's been written about them. And then there's probably lots of people who just assume that's like ghosts or anything else and they don't exist. Uh, you know, so there's people listening to this all across the gamut. Uh, so I guess that there's, there's sort of like three buckets, you know, of, of demons. There's the demons in your head, <laughs> you know, that people sort of, uh, deal with, uh, you know, proverbial demon. And then there's, uh, you know, demons as they've been written about in scripture, as you said, which is sort of like where your knowledge base rests. And then there's people who claim to be, uh, possessed by demons, which, um, you know, the, the Catholic church has done some exorcisms and that's what is tied into the movies that most people associate with demons. So I guess, uh, let's, let's take it back. Let's go back, uh, as far as we can go back and talk about maybe the first writings about demons, where was, and a demon specifically, as I understand it, and correct me if I'm wrong, is a entity without a body and, uh, within the writings of various religions has been to torment other people on earth or possess them in a way. Is that what a demon in your opinion is? Uh, yeah, it pretty much follows along that line. Uh, so there are two different types of 
entities. You have supernatural entities and you have preternatural entities. Uh, and this is a distinction that um, Malachi Martin, uh, who wrote a phenomenal book on the subject of possession called uh, Hostage to the Devil, The Possession and Exorcism of Five Contemporary Americans, um, kind of made the distinction about. Uh, so supernatural entities are things that used to be human that no longer occupy physical space, uh, but yet can sometimes still interact with the world around us. Whereas preternatural entities are those that have never been human, that are tied to either uh, a locale, a time period, um, or an individual person. In fact, that's why uh, the Catholic uh, rites of uh, Roman ritual, the rites of exorcism, uh, it actually specifies two different types of um, exorcisms. You can have um, an exorcism of person or an exorcism of locale. I see. <clears throat> that, and that's, that's really helpful to know that there's a, kind of those two categories. Um, what... Um, I guess, you know, as we, as we look at that, what has been the writing? Because I have a, I, I pulled up, obviously, you know, these days with the internet, there's so much information, but someone has compiled, of course, on Wikipedia, theological demons and names that go with them. And what I found most interesting as I sort of was doing the research on this is uh, there are demons for various religions, Christian demons, there's Jewish demons, there's, uh, you know, Chaldean demons and mythology. There's, there's all Hindu even, you know, so there's all these different, uh, demons that have been given a name, you know, which I find is interesting because it's like, how, <clears throat> I guess this, this kind of goes back, I guess this in my mind is someone who hasn't studied this stuff and, and just sort of looking at this list, I sort of look at it and think to myself, this is very similar to when people didn't understand certain things about the world and the brain and how things work. And people created gods for the rain gods and the fire God and the prosperity gods. And, you know, sort of that pagan list of just various entities that sort of could, could influence or affect you in your life. And, and you had to somehow uh, appease them. You know, I look at this list and I think to myself, how did somebody decide that this one Archeron or whatever, um, just taking a look here, Hat was the creator God and, you know, somehow becomes, you know, tied to a specific name and a demon. Like, how do you feel about that? What, what is, what's your take on the fact that there's a list of, you know, 250 different names that people have associated with something to be a demon? That is a really good question. Um, so there are, within very specific contexts, there are, you can trace back exactly why something became known as a demon or a god. Like, for example, you take the contrast between Hinduism and Zoroastrianism. Um, Zoroastrianism actually has the oldest religious writings of any religion in the known world. Um, they both came from one specific set of people, the Proto-Iranians. Uh, they split off, and then you had the, the gods of Hinduism, and you had the god the main god, uh, Ahura Mazda of Zoroastrianism, those two groups grew to diametrically oppose each other. So you'll find the gods of Hinduism have become the demons of Zoroastrianism and wow. vice versa. <laughs> um, but 
more I think most people are probably more familiar with the Christian concept of what demons are. And yeah, you have entire rank and files that have been dictated. Some of these do come from uh, biblical sources. Uh, for example, uh, what most people know as um, uh, you know um, Beelzebub uh, is actually a combination of two different words, Baal Zebub, uh, the Lord of the Fly, uh, that comes directly from the the Hebrew Bible. However, a lot of those things are inferences. Um, However, uh, you find a lot of demonic names uh, listed within Pseudepigrapha. Uh, There's books like uh, Jubilees and First Enoch, uh, especially First Enoch. You have um, do you mind if I go into a small little story here? I'm sorry. <laughs> no, not at all. Just uh, uh, one one thing I would say is that you know because you're so versed in the terminal the terminology and the terms uh, for us who have never studied this before. Just keep in mind if you throw out a, a term out there, maybe if you could give us a little background on exactly you know what that means and what it is. Yeah, absolutely. So the pseudepigrapha is this collection of texts that literally translated from Latin means false epitaphs. Um, so there's a lot of really intriguing questions that come up in the Hebrew Bible, and you'll find later writers in the Second Temple Judaism period, which is roughly around like 180 uh, BCE to 70 CE, um, they wrote these texts to try to either advocate for a position or to uh, try to, uh, with other biblical sources, answer why something happened the way it was or is written the way it was. Um, so that's what all of these texts uh, came about as. But in First Enoch, it tells the st- uh, it retells the creation story because in Genesis 6, you have this um, – this really mysterious passage which talks about the sons of God, uh, and then it talks about uh, the Nephilim, these giants. And rabbis have kind of been scratching their heads over that for a long time. Does this mean that ancient Judaism was polytheistic? It believed in multiple gods, or what in the world this was? And so first Enoch tried to clarify that passage by retelling the creation story. And it said that... um, you know, when God put um, the generations of man and women upon the face of the earth, um, angels were set to look over them and protect them. They were called the watchers. Well, there is uh, the watchers looked upon the daughters of man and saw how comely they were and decided that they wanted to take them as wives. So they bound each other in a curse, went down to earth propagate it with the daughters of man, and that produced the Nephilim, these giant bloodthirsty creatures that would fornicate with anything and everything they could possibly get their hands on. Um, so this is actually what caused the deluge, which ended the, that first generation of the world, uh, according to First Enoch. So, And you find that a lot of these demons be, were actually – remnants of the watchers and that's a very common theme you'll find all the way throughout uh, second temple judaism where you have these um, angels that were either set to look over the generations of man or were an angel that was supposed to look over a particular nation that would turn against israel or against their original purpose and then they were kind of classified as the original demons 
I see. <clears throat> and were they without body? In other words, were these just complete, uh, you know, entities that did not ex- actually exist type of thing? That's right. Yeah, they were uh, essentially uh, – they had uh, uh, spiritual bodies only in terms of the Watchers. The Nephilim were a very special case because they were both the product of the spiritual and the physical. So when they were wiped out, their spirits didn't go anywhere. They actually just went up into the heavens and kind of circled around, uh, and that's why there's such a uh, pervasive problem. And most people would think, well, what relevance does this really have to anything now? Um, if you actually look in um, the Dead Sea Scrolls, you will find texts that are specifically geared against uh, these types of spiritual invasions. Uh, there's a really interesting one that was found in K4, and it's uh, labeled 4Q, 5, 10, and 11, where it goes, um, you know, and I, the instructor, uh, am making a proclamation of his, uh, of, of his glory in order to instill dread and to terrify all of the spirits of the angels of destruction, the spirits of the bastards, demons, Lilith, howlers, desert dwellers, and those who suddenly strike in order to uh, uh, charm hearts. I see. <clears throat> so, so these, uh, so the idea is that people, um, those, uh, those very old stories, what you're saying is that from a spiritual perspective, there is some case to be made that those entities still exist and, and possibly torment people today. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, if you really, if you believe these ancient texts, then there is nothing that would prevent these things from being able to to get loose. In fact, within um, within the Dead Sea Scrolls, that the Essenes is who we believe were the uh, the group that was responsible for producing these documents. They really believed that time itself was the temple. Uh, where you had, you know, each wall was a set um, frame of days, which equaled 360 days. Uh, They also believed in a solar calendar. And that meant that there were four days that were outside of this, this holy temple. And those were the days in which any demonic entity could come in and cause trouble, no matter how pious an individual happened to be. I see. So is there in Christian or in Catholicism, the church has come up with specific rituals, prayers to remove a demonic entity from a person. Is that seen in the other faiths and Jewish faith and Islam and Buddhism? Do they have some kind of similar thing going on to deal with demons in their culture? Um, yes, to an extent, uh, like for example, um, Judaism, although it has words for um, a, a negative place to be, whether it be Sheol or uh, Tehetra, um, they're not, it's not really considered pure hell. And although there are dark spirits, um, there's nothing that I, at least that I'm aware of within modern Judaism in which prescribes something to try to, you know, get rid of a demon that might possess a person. I could be very wrong. I am not the most knowledgeable when it comes to modern Judaism. So I apologize if I got that completely wrong In other faiths, you do find the same things. Um, you know, whether it's, um, I think all Christians, 
Christianity kind of shares this. There are uh, some very predominant, uh, you know, uh, sects within Protestantism. Uh, Catholicism definitely has it, although they try to steer away from it. Uh, and then Orthodoxy, you'll find every every one of those shares a um, a connection to uh, exorcism. You do find similar things uh, within certain strands of Buddhism. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm not. When it comes to like uh, other religions, I'm not the most um, the, the most educated, so I don't want to go any further than that. <laughs> right, right. I understand. So uh, it's funny because you mentioned Lilith, and uh, I have uh, there was a friend uh, guy who co-hosted this. Friend of mine lives up in Los Angeles. And um, he's kind of more involved in uh, exploring with occult type things. And uh, Lilith is one that's on the list of, uh, you know, within the occult community that sort of uh, has a prominent place. And I was just curious about, you know, demons are shared within sort of the occult and, and, uh, you know, uh, paganism and things like that as well. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, D, uh, Lilith especially is a really fascinating um, uh, character that you'll find. She, you know, she started off life in Sumerian as a wind goddess, and then uh, at some point in time, she became kind of a more generalized night hag. And you'll find specific references to her in Ezekiel, uh, where she lives in the du- desert Dudael, which is where all of the bad things um, in the Hebrew Bible happen to reside. Um, and then at some point, uh, she became the first wife of Adam. And I think it's because of this strange transition uh, that she features prominently in a lot of, um, you know, in a lot of different types of circles. Yeah, it says, uh, for those who aren't familiar, um, it says that uh, Lilith is sort of the demon of the night. There's a sexual component to her. Uh, She supposedly steals babies in the darkness. Uh, She's one of the uh, earlier historical female demons, I guess, within uh, ancient Motesopotamia religion. So um, is that uh, I was kind of surprised, you know, to look at this list and see, for instance, that they have things on. uh, They call out things in Irish folklore, like we've all heard of a banshee, you know, the screaming banshee in the night uh, that that technically classifies as a demon. Uh, in Irish mythology, because uh, you know it's a entity without a body. Yeah, but uh, so those are more she's, and she's are they're they're more related to the realms of fairy more so than they are uh, the demonic. But I think that the the combination of Irish uh, folklore combined with uh, you know the rampant use of Catholicism has made some really kind of interesting blends that you'll find. Uh, but there's actually like Ireland's really interesting when it comes to demons uh, because you'll find like modern tales of exorcism in which they'll say, "Oh, I'm, I'm going back to the old country," and it's, it's referring to the uh, to the woods of Ireland for some strange reason. Huh. Yeah. And I did come across uh, some uh, Catholic um, fathers that do that have done recent, uh, you know, um, exorcisms there in Ireland. Uh, But what is what is the current status on that? Because it seems like there's such a culture clash. You know, there's 
um, you know, you, when you start to talk about people who are possessed, you know, there is a wide range of studied mental health issues that, uh, you know, humans succumb to, you know, there are patterns, uh, that you can look at and discern that, you know, these five, these hundred individuals are all doing something similar and their brain is working this way. And, you know, so there's kind of this cross between where you get into this, you know, the science of why a human acts the way they do. And then, uh, sort of the, uh, the other side of things that if you take from more of a theological point of view, that this could be a demon. If you believe in demons and you've read those texts and you believe that that's the, the cause of somebody acting the way they're acting, what's your take on that? Yep. Uh, so, you know, of course, you know, early in the Catholic church's life, um, you know, there were tons and tons of cases of uh, demonic possession. Even if you look at, the modern Catholic Church in uh, Vatican City or Italy, there are still numerous exorcisms taking place uh, on a daily basis. Um, but here, at least in the U.S. and other uh, countries that are removed from Vatican City, um, the Catholic Church has adopted kind of a standoffish position against uh, exorcism. Uh, in fact, in order for the church to deem that an exorcism is necessary, uh, they would normally go through multiple rounds of um, physical testing, of uh, mental evaluation, and only after those things have been ruled out will a the church actually uh, bless an exorcism to happen. In fact, a church has to bless an exorcism uh, and actually sanction an exorcism to happen. Otherwise, it uh, probably will never, never work. But for me, so for example, like on Netflix, there's actually a um, – uh, a new documentary that came out, which is uh, from the director of the original Exorcist, and he goes to the head um, exorcist in Vatican City um, and actually uh, films uh, what a modern exorcism, the heat that takes place. And it's vastly different than what you would expect. If you've read, you know, anything from Malachi Martin or looked at modern procedures that most dioceses in the U.S. have set up, they are very stringent, very strict. Whereas you watch this documentary and it seems like, oh, well, if this person decides he wants to do an exorcism, then he can do it. And there's really no testing or anything else involved. Um, so it's that second set that makes me vastly uncomfortable. Um, I think that it is – there's the vast majority of times – Everything is going to be described as either a physical ailment or a mental ailment. It's only in the, you know, one half of one half of one percent would anything ever fall into the realm of the preternatural. Right, right. All right. We are with JJ from Southern Demonology. And uh, you're listening to Spirits and More Radio. We're going to take a quick break, just a uh, couple, 24 seconds here. So uh, we'll be right back after this. are listening to spirits and more radio have a paranormal story tell us at spooksandspirits.com
and more radio <clears throat> we are talking about demons today you guys and uh this stuff goes way back uh i think you know in our modern society today it's you know the place of demons for most people rest within the realm of horror movies halloween time that sort of thing uh but uh as as jj's been explaining in other parts of the world now with outside outside of the united states uh they're is evidence that there's tendency to lean towards uh, demon demonic possession, uh, and at least within the Catholic Church, the the use of a ritual, um, you know, to exercise out the demon. Um, I wanted to ask you. We were talking about mental health there for a second. Um, for instance, and I'll just give this as an example. Uh, if you've kept up with the news, there's been a uh, there's been a, a a number of U.S. diplomats that were stationed in Cuba that started to hear funny sounds and, and they were really sick. They became sick, memory loss, damage, actual damage to their brain when they did an MRI on them uh, and CT scans. And that also happened in, uh, I believe it was in China, they started to experience the same thing. Uh, yep. scientists have been, uh, researching to try and figure that out. And I just read an article released yesterday, uh, from someone who's, uh, you know, um, on the neurological side of science who believes that these are classic symptoms of pulsed microwave radiation. So essentially, you know, we're talking about how your microwave cooks food, you know, how, uh, how microwave is used to transmit, you know, communications around the world. Uh, for some reason, these people in this location are displaying those sorts of things. But as part of that, they're hearing stuff that's not there. They're hearing strange sounds. And you have to wonder to yourself, you know, if you were in a house in the countryside or whatnot, and that started to happen to you, you know, you're going to go searching for answers. And I think what you're saying is that in some parts of the world, they're less discerning to jump to a conclusion that this is a demonic possession as a, as opposed to some sort of uh, other uh, physical and medical, you know, uh, diagnosis. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, you, you'll find that tendency a lot. If there's a you know a locale or a country in which has a solid base of a particular religion and people are much more open to spirit, uh, spiritualistic concepts, then you'll find people gravitate more often to that explanation rather than trying to look for some other parameters that might be responsible for that. Yeah. So is there, um, and I was curious about this, you know, you go online and obviously the internet, as it matures, uh, we all have learned to take everything with a grain of salt. So, um, but as I look at this list, it's interesting, um, people, you know, I think who don't study, you know, anything to do with demonology, uh, don't necessarily know the difference, uh, when you talk about the devil, you know, we think of like when you see the exorcist, you make this assumption, this is the devil speaking through this child, you know, are all demons, you know, they don't in the list, there's the devil specifically called out. So 
as we sort of uh, explore demonology, how does the the devil or the fallen angel fall into this category of demonology? Yep, that's a great question. So you'll find, you know, the, the you know various religions have come up with uh, rank and file uh, lists of. Uh, whether it be angels or demons or whatever it may be. Um, and most people, uh, when they think about uh, possession, they'll instantly assume that, oh, it must be the devil you know, uh, himself that is actually doing this. And it's, it's not actually. Uh, in fact, only the most rare and extreme cases have ever has the priest ever really identified the you know the uh, possessing spirit to actually be uh, Lucifer or Samael uh, it's you know himself uh, usually it's um, another nameless demon uh, or in actually as reported in um, Malachi Martin's book now it could be the and um, uh, the adjunct of a demon kind of like a, a minor demon that's doing the work for a major demon. I see. So is there, um, and, and that, that comes, that circles back around to, you know, human perception. How would somebody know who or what entity they're dealing with? Again, this is a, this is a big long list of names here, you know? It is. And uh, honestly, I don't know how much veracity you could ever put into one of those uh, lists. You know, we, we like, for example, a lot of religious writings, we have the names of the archangels. Um, everyone knows who, you know, Michael, Gabriel, uh, Raphael, Uriel um, happen to be. And their names are very uh, symptomatic of the spheres of influence that they have. So, you know, Gabriel is Gabriel, which means the the mighty warrior of God. Uh, Michael um, is Mikael, who is like God. And you'll find the same thing on the demonic side as well. Like Samael is the gall of God. So anything that ends with an L and happens to be a demon it is a very specific, um, they have a very specific sphere of influence that they happen to do. Um, and then you'll find, you know, other um, demons written either in magical grimoires that you'll find written between, you know, in the uh, Middle Ages or the Dark Ages, um, etc. But and I've completely forgotten the original question. I apologize. <laughs> yeah, we're just talking about how the actual, like we talk about the devil, because, uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, it's just common it's a common, uh, you know, thought that, you know, evil, the devil's behind evil, you know, the devil, oh, you know, yeah. the devil's playground, you know, you have spare time on your hands, you know, that sort of thing. So, uh, when you see someone having some sort of, uh, or again, it's very, I think it's very rare. I think it's, you know, it's not very common for people, um, to, to exhibit the specific things that we associate with being, possessed by some sort of demon or demonic entity. Um, you know, I think, I think that, uh, a lot of times the first step is you take your child or your father or your mother or your sister to the doctor and you say they're not acting right and they're doing this and they're doing that, you know? And I think that there's, uh, I, I guess what I'm most interested in is, you know, there, there's a fine, there's a line in the sand between things that people do and exhibit from mental illness. For example, let's just talk about for a second hypnosis. 
you know, there isn't a medical, I've done some research and there's not really like a medical explanation for hypnosis in the sense that people are suggestible. However, there has been a recent study done at a university uh, where the MRI exposes a different part of your brain functioning and working during hypnosis than when you're not hypnotized. So, uh, you know, people can fall under hypnosis and suggestion. And it's said that this is sort of like they're, they know what's expected of them. You know, they know that a lot of people have seen a hypnosis stage show. They go to it. They know what's expected of them. Yet there's this other part of their brain sort of operating at this moment, at that moment in time. So you kind of have to wonder, like, you know, when somebody is pulled aside and, you know, maybe grandma has said, you know, oh my God, there might be a demon inside you, you know, and you've seen the exorcist, you know, uh, that makes me wonder if, if the human mind is sort of playing along and going along with the things we expect to see and hear, you know, uh, with a, with a demonic possession. So where the line in the sand is, if someone does something supernatural, you know, if somebody speaks a language they don't speak, if somebody can climb up a wall backwards on their palms, (laughs) you know, these are the sort of things where there is definitely something going on beyond mental health issues. Right. Yeah. So typically it's, it's not just that a person isn't acting right. Uh, Typically in almost all cases of possession, it's where the person has somehow invited something into themselves. Um, And, you know, it can be a silent agreement. It can be a verbal agreement, whatever it happens to be. But at that point, once a person has accepted this entity inside, then their free will is pretty much overridden. Uh, to the point where a lot of these people that have, you know, have written uh, tales and accounts about, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm silence now. <laughs> um, but a lot of people that have written tales and accounts of this, or the people that have, you know, witnessed the events, they describe where there are periods of lucidity where they know what they're doing, who they are, and then they're, and after being um, exercised, there are vast swaths of information that they simply no longer have. It's like they have been submerged into unconsciousness and they don't know what they've done or who, you know, or who they've been with, et cetera. Uh, And there's some, I think that's one of the most frightening aspects of it, where if you take this to be a situation that can actually occur, um, to, to think that you are no longer in control of your own self. That is a truly frightening experience. Yeah, I agree. Now, do you in your research and your studies, have you come across lots of personal accounts of people who have been, um, you know, possessed and then experienced an exorcism? Is that out there? Are there some cases that you've that you can reference or that you're thinking of specifically? 
Yeah, so most of my knowledge when it comes to modern-day exorcism uh, really comes from the writings of Malachi Martin, um, and it's a very biased viewpoint. Uh, at times, you know, he's been accused of having a very specific agenda, etc., and he's kind of a very controversial figure within the Catholic Church, but he— wrote some really fascinating uh, books, and one of them, The Hostage to the Devil, he goes through really six different uh, cases of possession and shows, you know, takes it from the possessed person standpoint, from the priest standpoint who conducted the exorcism, uh, and then and afterwards that kind of looks at what happened after that uh, exorcism took place. And... Um, yeah, and each one of those experiences are vastly different. Uh, some of these people fell into theological traps. Uh, some of these people uh, would, you know, they started to get into uh, postmodern philosophy, and that kind of led them down this path. And then there are other symptoms in which um, when the author is going through it, um, it identifies that there's no rhyme or reason why someone gets possessed. Um, it's kind of faded from the moment that they are born that this is going to happen to them. Uh, but then again, all of this is kind of wrapped up in the cloud of mystery because if you take that possession can happen, if you take that you can talk to a demon through the possessed person, can you ever truly trust what in the world is coming out of its mouth? So uh, <laughs> it's something that, you know, it, it's very kind of up in the air. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, as you were talking about that, I was sort of thinking, you know, demons really play into uh, sort of this uh, ethos of good and evil. And, you know, that's one of the big things that uh, within at least uh, the Catholic Church, uh, there's been some, you know, sort of like criticism from the outside that there's this pressure, you know, if you don't do this for God, you are in risk of ending up in hell and demons are a great big pool sitting there in hell ready to take over and get you, you know, um, how much of that do you think, uh, or I guess this sort of the evil side of things that we're talking about, um, you know, uh, is maybe amplified, you know, over time within stories and so forth, uh, as sort of, uh, you better be a good person or this will get you. Uh, it's so, yeah, I mean, demons can be anything from a cautionary tale to, uh, a, uh, you know, a negative reinforcement to, you know, you better not do this or this is going to happen to you. Um, and also parables in which, you know, this is something that happened and it was demonically influenced and, uh, you know, you better learn the lesson from this. Uh, and they all kind of get wrapped up, um, with uh, re with retelling that and there are so many different religious works that you know will have these kind of concepts in them that they all blend into the background um in fact and this is something that i would love to have the time to do um there are frozen fragments of these concepts and ideas that are found within second temple judaism that have been floated up 
to the modern day uh, Catholic Church um, and to a lot of other religions as well. But especially the Catholic Church, they will rely upon these concepts that were set forth, you know, over two thousand years ago. And but they're never truly examined. You can't really unearth it and say this is the reason why we believe this or this tale has really come to us. Um, and it would be really kind of interesting, more of like a doctoral thesis to be able to try to tease a lot of those threads apart. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and one of the things as I sort of looked at the research of this is that, uh, like, for instance, it said in uh, in Buddhism, you know, there is some concept of a demon, but they don't really uh, go either good or bad, because I guess there's no good or bad within that faith. Um, so a demon within their realm isn't like a demon within, you know, the Jewish faith or, you know, Christianity. Yeah. Um, so, but you know, there are a lot of different kinds of strands. I think that within, you know, you'll find that to be the case within like Nichiren Buddhism, um, or, you know, pure land Buddhism. But then if you go into more Tibetan Buddhism, there's a, a, you know, that's where you find a plethora of tales about, uh, you know, demons and demonic forces. Uh, but then again, I, I, I have no subject matter expertise on that though. Yeah, yeah. Um, so is there, as we talk about, I kind of touched upon some of these like uh, supernatural abilities. Has anyone truly documented something like that other than a witness account? And I think what I'm kind of getting to is uh, if you're you're probably familiar with the release of uh of uh, uh, the the movie Demon House on Netflix by uh, Zach Bagans, and uh, that story centers around a family. A mo- this is a modern day demon tale or uh, possession tale uh, that is sort of backed up by some social workers as well as some police officers that supposedly witnessed this girl walking backwards up a wall. Are you familiar with that? Mm. I'm not. Um, in fact, I will go check that out tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, to your question, there there have been uh, a lot of cases of documentation around this. In fact, there are uh, some very prescriptive manners that uh, the Catholic Church will impart to an exorcist. You know, for example, uh, when you perform an exorcism, you want to make sure that it is in a stripped bare room um, where – uh, nothing can fly about because there's a lot of cases where, you know, beds were levitate, uh, drawers were open and closed by themselves, objects would go flying around, uh, the room grows extremely cold, etc. cetera. Uh, you want to make sure that the person who is being um, exercised is uh, restrained. Um, the, and that's also why an exorcist will have uh, several different um, – assistance uh with him or her with him uh, there is no her in that case i'm sorry uh where uh they their jobs are to a make sure that the health of the um of the exorcy is um is being uh observed that to uh they are properly restrained at all times uh that they assist with providing extra restraints in case something is going horribly wrong. Like, for example, in the original um, Exorcist tale, not the story, but the actual story, not the book, but the real story, um, there was a a, uh, um, um, a Protestant priest that was called in, uh, I think, 
Episcopalian, but I don't remember for sure, uh, that was called in to try to do some type of exorcism. Um, and the, um, the boy actually ripped a bed spring out from the bed, stabbed it, and ripped down the uh, priest's forearm, uh, where, and he had to be immediately rushed off to the hospital. Wow, that's crazy. Where can we where, – where was that? Where did you reference uh, that? That uh, there's a couple of different uh, documentaries on it. There's um, uh, but it's the it's the actual um story of uh, the uh, events that inspired the Exorcist movie. Of course, the Exorcist movie is completely made up, and there's so little um, you know, uh, correlation between the actual story and the book itself. Uh, but yeah, it's absolutely fascinating. I'll have to, I'll look it up and I'll send it to you. Yeah, that would be great if we. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You could tweet that out or throw that up on one of your website or my website. But, uh, you know, <clears throat> one of the things I think about when you talk about this is, uh, you know, uh, you're referencing sort of the exorcism movie and how different that was from the book. Um, and then you're also talk about uh, sort of the like what happens within an exorcism. Like you're talking about this kid stabbing somebody with a bedspring. Um, I read some things I was, there's, there's a, and again, I, you know, I almost don't want to say the name of this website because I don't know how legit it is. <laughs> you know, there's so many websites that are out looking for clicks and um, I'll just say, I don't know how, I don't know much about this website, but the Catholic news agency website, CNA has, if you put the tag in for demon, you get lots of stuff on there and they reference many of these fathers that reside within, like you said, Vatican city over in Italy and what they've seen and what they've said. And, uh, one of them it's, it's interesting or funny because you talk about like the threshold for what is a possession. Uh, this particular, uh, father, I think it's father DeMeo, uh, you know, was talking about how he witnessed, you know, someone talking, this person was cussing, essentially using bad language towards him and said he was going to die in a car accident and smiled and was happy about that. And that was sort of the threshold for, you know, he felt really threatened that this was a demon. And, uh, you know, from my perspective, you know, how many people are there on the street that have, uh, you know, will curse at you and tell you stuff you know, uh, exactly. for, for various reasons. And there's another thing, and I want to get your take on this. Have you seen these videos on YouTube where the author of the video 
claims that magicians like street magic guys are actually demons. Have you seen any of those videos? No, I haven't. I have seen other videos which supposedly capture like demonic activity and every single one of those are hoaxes. Yeah. Well, this guy, this particular account, and you can search it if you put magicians or demons is what is what you can search on YouTube. But this guy has like at least seven to 10 videos where he shows, you know, like your busker, like street magician that you would find in a local park or near a Mm -hmm. tourist hub or whatnot. And he'll show video of that and then talk about how the things the person is doing can only be done with the help of a demon, you know? Uh, And then he talks about props and he says, Oh, if a magician has these props to accomplish these things, uh, you know, these are clearly just to distract you from the fact that it's really a demon giving him these magical powers to be able to levitate things and make things disappear. And that kind of hits close to home for me because I've been interested in magic since I was a kid. I'm a magician member of the magic castle in Hollywood. And, you know, I have a a pretty extensive knowledge base on illusions and how to accomplish things and, you know, seeing other magicians do things. And it's just really amusing to see that this person's, you know, I don't know if they're, you know, I don't know if they're doing it just to be dramatic and get those clicks or if they really believe it, but they've got a group of people that comment that go, oh my gosh, you're right, this must be a demon that's allowing this guy to levitate a rubber band or whatever it is, you know? <laughs> yeah, you. I swear you can find, if you come up with any harebrained concept, then you'll find an entire group of people that support them. In fact, uh, at my at my day job, uh, we were talking about a, a new, well, I don't know how new it is, but a group of people that believe um that uh, anytime someone you know has an involuntary reaction, then that is a sign that that person is watching you and reporting to some mythical agent uh, about all of your activities, and it's really frightening. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's frightening, and this this kind of crosses the line between you know reality. Like you talk about something like that at your work, right? Where this idea is that someone's reporting you, okay? Most people know that that's not true, that there's no agency to take information about you. But there's a certain amount of believability, okay? Like if you're someone who can believe that you're possessed by a demon, are you the same person who would believe that, you know? Is there any sort of discretion between which sort of very out there unrealistic things that we're going to, you know, grab onto and run with, you know? And so that makes me kind of, you know, I, I think it's an example, if nothing else, it's an example of how humans, you know, want to grab on to something and believe, or they want to grab on to, uh, you know, a concept to just kind of make sense of it all, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And I, there's definitely, uh, 
it's been pointed out time and time again. But you know, people want to believe in something, uh, and if you know, even if it's you know the radical disbelief in something, that in turn can be a belief in itself. Um, yeah, and we, of course, we want to understand the world around us, and we have a phenomenal more you know amount of tools to do so. But at the end of the day, you know, each person decides for themselves. You know, it does science or whatever existing methodologies we have. We cannot explain everything about the observable world, or is there something unobservable, or you know, how far you down that rabbit hole you want to go. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think another way, for instance, this is uh, a topic of interest to me, is sort of the malfunction of the human brain, you know, under certain circumstances where people are either maybe taking a psychedelic drug or, you know, uh, a mushroom from the forest or, you know, what sort of writings and texts have been written with someone who's in an altered state, you know, that their reality is is altered and so different from, you know, what the norm is. And so I've always wondered, you know, you can, you can say like, for instance, okay, there's a chemical reaction that takes place in the brain that allows someone to be in this altered world that seems so different, you know, maybe so magical, maybe scary, uh, but in such a way that their reality is reality. And you have to wonder and step back and say, is that a malfunction of the brain or is that particular chemical maybe opening someone up to something we can't see? Right. And that ties in perfectly with uh, near-death experiences. You know, some people have, uh, you know, a lot of physicians have stated that the drugs in which are used to attempt to resuscitate somebody can cause very specific reactions in the brain that can simulate, you know, light, happiness, you know, overdoses of serotonin. But then you also have the exact opposite experiences where people will wake up and they're being chased by demons in this near-death experience and they've come to despair that that is there going to be the rest of their existence until they are resuscitated. I mean, those stories just fascinate the ever living heck out of me. Yeah. Yeah. And there have been stories there. There are also stories of people who, uh, where doctors themselves, and I, I need to do more research and find, you know, some specific references, uh, to actual people that we know exist. Um, but there have been some references to doctors that have, uh, you know, seen people, uh, actually dead on the operating table, their heart's not going. And when they come back, they tell them about things that were said in the operating room while they were actually technically not alive. So, uh, there's a lot of good stuff out there, but, uh, with regard to, uh, demons and, and movies and so forth, um, I think, you know, case of Emily Rose was like a modern day take on a very old story about Annalise Michelle. I think it's Michelle's how you pronounce her last name. Uh, Are you familiar with, with that case? Um, not the, I've seen the movie a couple of years ago, uh, but I'm not familiar with the actual story itself that inspired the movie though. Yeah. So the actual story was based on, uh, a little, a girl named Annalise who eventually was diagnosed with psychosis, uh, you know, by the medical, her doctor and several people who checked into her, but, uh, her parents and a lot of people don't know this were charged with murder because she was technically diagnosed with psychosis 
And then they went on to do a exorcism and lack of food and things like that. And so there was actually a case in, uh, where the, where the parents, uh, had to go through, um, you know, not, uh, are, are being accused of, of her death. Essentially, she eventually died, but, um, but yeah, that's again, another case. I, I, I seem to see that time and time again, you know, someone doesn't know what's going on. There's a demon in you, you know, my laptop's not working right. There's a demon in it, you know, and, uh, places like Haiti, you know, or I don't know if you're familiar with Haiti and their belief system and all the, you know, the famous for the idea of the zombie from Haiti, but, um, oh, yeah. you know, there's a really good, um, vice, uh, vice TV, um, documentary. That's, it's like a three fifteen minute clips on YouTube, but it's that, uh, the particular guy that's, uh, interested in pharmaceuticals and things. It's the pharmacopoeia or something like that. But anyway, he goes deep into Haiti to try and find the source of this idea of a zombie and even talks to uh, the author and the guy who did the research in Haiti for um, the famous uh, movie Serpent in the Rainbow, which has a lot to do with that. But in Haiti, he discovered that, uh, you know, the people there find, you know, they, they default really quickly to some sort of like spiritual issue or complication when someone's having trouble, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. You have the, you know, I, I believe if my memory can drudge it up, uh, you, you've got the, the good type of, uh, practitioners, uh, called Honduras. And then you have the, the evil ones called Bokers and yeah, Bokers are always the ones that are responsible for being able to, in some places have attributed it to like psychotropic drugs. Um, others have actually classified it as kind of like a spiritual malady, uh, where a person can, and essentially overwrite uh, a, a person's will and make them a willing slave. <clears throat> yeah, that, I, I've seen that for sure. And that's that ties back to what you said about someone giving away their free will to a demon. Um, one of the things that was interesting uh, on that CNA uh, news website that links back to a lot of these um, you know, people within the church in Italy is that uh, their test to see if someone was possessed had everything to do with them coming in and praying for a long period of time to see if the person would be uh, disturbed and irritated with the prayer, you know, and that was one of their tests to see if someone is possessed is can we go in and throw some holy water, you know, quote scripture and talk about these things and then see the reaction of the person. And I thought, uh, you know, how, how, what a primitive way that was to sort of like discern if someone's possessed by a demon, you know, I mean, I, uh, it's possible depending on your uh, disposition to various religious texts and practices that, you know, two hours of somebody <laughs> throwing holy water at you might piss you off if you're not a demon, you know? <laughs> exactly. In fact, a really common kind of trick uh, that a lot of these tests will use, at least a better test, is that they will take two different varieties of water, uh, one blessed by a priest and one not, um, and see if uh, the, you know, the person who is being examined can actually 
actually tell the difference by having that flung upon them. Uh, if they can, then that makes a really good case for, you know, there is documented cases of, you know, the possessed uh, having severe aversions to anything religious in nature. Um, and that can be, you know, a, a good test in and of itself uh, at times. Yeah, I, I actually like that test a lot. You know, that 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 one's good. I think I like that. Um, is there uh, we were sort of talking about I brought up the magicians sort of thing. And I think this is uh, we talked about Father DeMeo in uh, in Italy. And this is a direct quote from him. He says when he's talking about people uh, that become possessed, he said it usually starts out of ignorance, superficiality, stupidity, uh, actively participating or just watching. Um, the consequences are always disastrous. And he says the chatter of magicians and illusionists for answers rather than the weapons of the Lord have put that the Lord have put at our disposal. So that that's a very, um, you know, those statements are very he's he's talking about, you know, magicians, you know, as as we think of uh, not so much the occult magician, which is probably what he's thinking of. But when he puts illusionist in there. You know, that opens it up to the guy on TV, to David Copperfield, to me, you know, to everybody who's ever uh, worked a little magic trick on somebody, you know. So I think that says a lot. And again, this is I, I just want to, you know, uh, state once again that I don't know how credible this website is. There may be no Father DeMeo who ever said that. Well, it, it, it's really interesting. Um, you know, you get kind of two different takes upon why someone becomes possessed. Uh, you know, there's a take that this is something that is preordained, that, you know, the the, the Legion has selected this one individual uh, for some mysterious reason that they are going to be the target of their maledictions. And then you have the other side in which, you know, they it dictates that a person by living incorrectly uh, can open themselves up to demonic infestation. Um, and perhaps both of those are right. Perhaps only one of those is right. I have no idea. Uh, but yeah, especially within certain circles, you will find that latter portion of, oh, if you do anything that even remotely smacks of evil, then you will draw eyes upon you. I see. And that sort of explains why that why that would be, you know, hand in hand with talking about uh, illusionists and, and magicians and that sort of thing. Um, this is something I found interesting, and, and you may as well, is that uh, when I was sort of re researching, and I know that, you know, there isn't a one-size-fits-all for everybody within every sort of faith system, but uh, that it, typically it was saying what I found is that uh, within the occult, there isn't a strong belief in demons. However, I have seen there's an interesting person, woman who calls herself a witch and she, she will, she casts spells for people for money, of course. So charlatan, maybe, maybe not. Who's, uh, who's to say or question, but, uh, one of the things that I've seen several people who claim to dabble within witchcraft and the occult, uh, and witchcraft and, and again, uh, Wicca are also, there's some separations there as well. But, uh, but what I understand is I've seen this idea of using demons, for your own purposes as an entity to be controlled by you 
to get what you want. And I, and I've seen several videos and I've seen several texts of people modern day we're talking about. I'm not talking about, you know, things within some old book. I'm talking about people today on YouTube who uh, believe that they can harness the energy of a demon and send it after an ex-boyfriend or their boss or whatever. <laughs> what do you think about that? Yeah, uh, in fact, I mean, you don't find it just within, you know, uh, witchcraft or occult circles. Uh, you even find this within certain sects of Christianity. Uh, for example, the Ethiopic Orthodox Church, uh, they truly believe that, you know, Jesus Christ is not only, um, you know, the Messiah, but is also, you know, the greatest magician that ever lived. Uh, it's one of two orthodox faiths that really incorporate a magical tradition into their belief system. Um, so when, when, you know, it was written that uh, God gave power over demons to his followers. They take that as literal truth, and there is a sect of uh, priests within that faith in which it's their job to harness the power of demons, to throw it into a specially prepared scroll, and that becomes a protection scroll or another type of scroll. And there are literally thousands of these things littering around. Um, a lot of universities have copies of these, and I've been able to translate some of them. They're, they're fascinating. They're wow. absolutely fascinating. That's really neat. I would like to see that. If you have one and you can post it on your Twitter or whatnot, we'd definitely like to take a look and retweet that for everybody to see. Yep, um, I can do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, what, you know, and that's, uh, I, I remember a story. This is a, this is a story I heard at a former employer, someone I worked with talked about, uh, someone, a woman who they had to fire and this wasn't at, this is at a different company. So it's all, you know, third party, but the story goes that the boss called the woman in and said, you know, I'm sorry, we have to let you go. And she had sort of been a problem for a while. Well, she came into her boss's office and opened her hand and blew some dust all over his desk and said something to him. And, uh, you know, uh, just making a, a broad assumption that the Mexican woman probably was Catholic, you know, maybe that falls into that category of what you're talking about that, you know, under certain, you know, circumstances, there is a, you know, a belief in, you know, kind of these almost like witchcraft kind of things, you know? Yeah, I mean, I don't really know too much about that, but yeah, there's you know definitely a, a lot of of tales about that. I mean, in fact, I mean it's been dramatized in movies more times than not. But I mean, even a, a kind of recent example of Drag Me to Hell, Sam Raimi's movie, um, it, it features a lady who was wronged um, and specifically puts a curse that will draw a demonic gaze upon this woman, and then it will eventually kill her. And it's Fantastic movie, by the way. <laughs> well, what was the name of that movie again for, or for uh, listeners? Drag Me to Hell. Drag Me to Hell. Is that on uh, like Amazon Prime Video, Netflix, something like that? or? I think I actually I rented it on Amazon Prime. I don't think it's on any free streaming services, but I could be wrong. Okay, okay. Yeah, definitely. You know, one thing that's interesting is, uh, you know, again, I talked about our uh, the co one of our co-hosts of some of the early shows, Eric Van Leer, uh, who does uh, paranormal investigations and has claimed to see Lilith in her full glory there in a bathtub at a house once before. But one of the things that people always talk about, and him included, is sort of this 
that demon smell. There's like this smell. Have you, have you heard anything about that or seen cases where people, that's a commonality within authentic cases of demon possession? Um, the only thing that I can think of is uh, some people will report having a truly rancid smell uh, infuse the area, but I think that's all I can remember, though. I see. And- yeah, you would think that if there were, and again, you know, um, you talked about how low the percentage is of a demon possession. You know, and it makes you, uh, you know, you have to wonder, like, of all the people in the world, you know, uh, if there are demons, you know, that have the ability to jump into somebody, you know, you have to wonder. You talked about someone sort of making an agreement with with a demon. And that would come back to, again, some of, some of these people uh, that are practicing witchcraft that uh, sort of try to harness a demon probably in that case would be the most uh, vulnerable, right? Oh, you would have to think so. I mean, it, I know that within, you know, a lot of magical traditions, there's always some sort of barrier that can be put up that would help protect the practitioner, whether it be, you know, summoning circles or something else along those lines. But honestly, I, even if I believe that I had that kind of power and I could communicate with such a preternatural entity, I couldn't imagine any protection even being remotely, you know, good enough to uh, to be able to protect from some type of invasion or severe negative influence. Um, it, yeah, it, I mean, there's a lot of even within like Japanese modern Japanese, you have a lot of games that can be played that will invite very harmful spirits. Uh, to uh, interact with you. And I I just couldn't imagine even attempting to take one of those types of rituals on. (laughs) Well, it's interesting you say that because if you think about someone uh, who's truly vested in their faith, you would think that the protection of God would be enough, right? To, to ward off these evil entities that want to take over you. Yeah. And that's usually the, the, the standard byline uh, that a lot of faiths will go by. You know, if you believe in God this much, then you can be saved. But you'll find a lot of um, ancient historical texts that take the exact opposite route. Even that scroll I referenced earlier, 4Q5, 10, and 11, it specifically says that no matter how pious you happen to be, uh, if you don't have the protection of the entire community behind Behind you, uh, then you are open to invasion and influence. Right, which would sort of <clears throat> almost insinuate that the power of these particular entities is very strong. Oh, absolutely. In fact, I mean, if if you take these these tales to be true, and and personally, I I mean, I, I am very open to this concept. I I believe that you know, ex- exorcism and possession are not just mere. Um, you know, uh, uh, academic topics, but really can be something that can be impactful. Um, uh, it's the most, they are the most frightening things that could ever be conceived of. Um, you know, they are preternatural. They've never worn a human form. They are entirely alien and they can affect almost anyone at will, perhaps. I mean, who knows how their modus operandi actually is, but I mean, if, 
if the tales are to be true, then yeah, if you happen to to bring the um, you know the gaze of one of these things upon you, then you know it will be unto you. Right, <clears throat> and and that's sort of um, you know you talk about. Um, the, there's this concept that you hear over and over again within like when a family lives in a home, uh, that negative energy within between the members of the family can draw attention and sort of be amplified by some sort of entity. Would that be a demon? It, it can be. Now, you know, typically you've got several different classifications of what people would refer to as a haunting. You know, you have uh, um, some people say that, you know, a spiritual presence can be just like a record player playing where you've, you know, something happened and it got etched into the locale and that thing can replay. Those are kind of the simplest of things. And then you have poltergeist type of activities. Uh, but then in truly severe cases, is you have demonic activity and that's exactly why the catholic church has that you know uh, exorcism of locale um, i've actually i know a priest that has performed an exorcism of locale and it he he refuses to talk about it it was just that bad uh, but yeah in a lot of movies you'll find you know all the you know if you can believe the works of ed and lorraine warren um then the conjuring movies um, a lot of you know other ones those document true demonic activity and the frightening thing with those is that it doesn't matter if you happen to sell your house and then move to another location that thing is now attached has moved from being attached to that locale to being attached to those people um, and you will never rid yourself of it unless you can happen to you know be cleansed in another fashion yeah yeah <clears throat> and that and that again uh comes back to you know, people looking for answers for what's happening to them. You know, uh, if you sort of, uh, you know, people live their lives different ways and some people, uh, you know, gravitate towards the negative in their life and they're sort of upset and a grumpy person and bad things happen. And it seems like always bad things happen. And then some people get a flat tire and they brush it off and, and move on with their day, you know? So, <clears throat> That sort of leads me back to the thought of, uh, you know, perspective, too, that somebody can um, maybe feel like they have this negative energy pouncing on them. Uh, you know, um, what what I think would be very interesting is like uh, the case of a house where a family felt like they were under negative influence, you know, for some time and then they moved and the next people and the next people and the next people. But as you said, these things sort of the ideas that they would follow you too, as well. Um, would there be, because, you know, technically a demon who has been a person before and has died and then come back, that's sort of more along the lines of what we talk about a haunting, you know, uh, where's the line between you being a demon in your future after you've died and want to torment people and just simply being a spirit or a ghost? Is there even a line between this and that? Um, excuse me. I don't think that there is like, uh, typically a demon is always classified as something that has never been a person. Um, now if you happen to be like the, the adjunct or the avatar of a demon, perhaps maybe they could be, uh, have been human at some point in time, but I have no earthly idea. But no, typically if you 
Uh, if you have died and you happen to have come back um, and you're exerting some sort of influence upon a location, uh, then typically that would either be a spiritual residue or as a kind of a malevolent spirit that would be classified as like a poltergeist. Right. Because as you said, like the thought behind the demons that have never been people is their power. You know, their ability to uh, overcome someone's either faith or, you know, because we talk about, you know, you think about people who, uh, you know, this concept of, you know, spirit guides or uh, angels that follow you and help you. You know, if you were under some sort of demonic attack, you know, and you believe there are demons, then you probably believe that you have some on the good, good team on your side, you know? Uh, and I wonder what sort of influence there is. Obviously nobody knows, but the idea being that, you know, there, there are good and there are evil entities. Right. Um, it's a good question. Uh, you know, there's a lot of angel tales. I have never really gotten into anything modern when it comes to the, um, angelic, uh, but you can also take the opposite approach to that, though, which is, you know, seeing an angel is not necessarily a good thing. Like, for example, in almost all of the Hebrew Bible, um, if you ever have run across God, you are not going to have a great day. Like, it is not a great experience to be put in front of the Almighty. Uh, it's typically, I mean, just the power alone is just enough to kind of fry you right then and there. And angels share some of those attributes. So, you know, you could be maybe not to the same extent, but you could still be like spiritually fried just by witnessing one of these types of uh, influences. Interesting. <clears throat> yeah. I've never thought of it from that perspective that uh, you always think of, or at least people have these ideas when they think of heaven and the pearly gates and, you know, there's uh, that the entity of God would be a loving, warm experience. But what you're saying is this concept that it's, hardcore energy beyond human, you know, uh, consumption really. Right. I mean, and it's not saying that, you know, God isn't loving or caring or anything like that. It's just the fact that, I mean, it, it is, you know, the, the infinite, uh, and to be put, you know, for a speck to be put in front of the infinite, that's, you know, normally not going to wind up good for the speck. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. Uh, is there, um, you know, as we're talking about like demons and Halloween time and, and horror films, um, you know, most of the time, what people love about Halloween and horror films is they can sort of remove themselves from like this high tech existence we have today where we have tons of information. <clears throat> you know, there's explanation for a lot of things, but there's still this desire in people's mind to kind of let go and believe for a moment that there is a monster in the closet. Yeah, uh, it's uh, in fact. I mean, I, I do the same thing. I uh, I love I love horror movies of any you know any way, shape, or form. Um, and you know, there are some really well. There's some decent uh, demonic inspired type of uh, films out there. But uh, yeah, just uh, just to want to be able to a let go, b believe, and c. Uh, to truly feel the, you know, a bit of adrenaline, adrenaline, you know, course through your veins as something scares the, you know, the bejesus out of you is always a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and the thing, one, one interesting side to this too, is that, uh, 
horror movies and sort of the traditions of Halloween allow people to do that. But there are many people who have experienced something that is unexplainable, that they've gone through their mind and, you know, crossed the T's and dotted the I's on explanation. How could this have happened to me? And they come back to the same place that probably you and I have come back to that you can't find an explanation for what's, you know, uh, happened to you in sort of a supernatural paranormal way. Oh yeah. In fact, I've, you know, I, I've had, um, numerous readers, I mean, listeners of mine, uh, write in where they have what they consider to be under supernatural attack or preternatural attack. Um, and of course, you know, I'm, I'm not a practitioner of anything. I can't really provide a lot of practical things besides, you know, some of the basics that I happen to know. But, um, I mean, it's frightening. I feel my heart goes out and I've, you know, I'll do everything that I can. I'll try to reference priests. I'll try to reference religious organizations, you know, anything I can do to, to try to assist in the ways that I can. So it's, uh, it's frightening. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also interesting, the different approaches that are taken, you know, depending who you are, uh, for instance, you know, people of the occult will, you know, witchcraft will burn sage and things. They talk about cleansing a space that way, uh, which is different from, you know, uh, Catholic response to something like that, uh, or, you know, a Buddhist response or someone within Islam or different faiths. Um, is, is there a fear, for instance, you know, you, you, you expressed your belief that these things are beyond just, you know, discussion and, uh, in content for movies. Um, for instance, I'll give you an example. There's a podcast, which I'm fond of, uh, called mystic menagerie. And, uh, it's two guys out of the UK. They did it for, I think a year and a half. They got up to about 20 episodes or 22 episodes before they were unable to continue. But one of my favorite episodes is where they summon uh, a brigade of demons or something like that. And this guy who he's a, he's a guest on their show, but they go through this whole thing and some music comes on that's creepy. And he makes some statements about the demons being here. And it's specifically, they're called just for everyone to witness, you know, they're supposed to, maybe call in and say that, you know, my blinds flipped up off the wall or, you know, I don't know what my cat jumped up when you said that or, or whatever it may be, something, something was supposed to happen. But, you know, I love listening to it because it's in the middle of the night when it's dark and I'm by myself and I'm trying to sleep. And I hear this droning of this thing and these guys summoning a brigade two not one brigade, two brigades of demons, you know, as if one wasn't enough, let's get 24 of them in, you know? And so they do that. And then at the end of the show, they call the demons and they send them back to where they're ever supposed to be. So for me, uh, not, I, I don't have a fear of hearing something like that or, or something like that. Is that different for you? Is that, is that too much pushing along the lines of, you know, dabbling in something that shouldn't be dabbled in? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's something that, uh, I'm not even sure if I would want to listen to it. For example, um, there's, um, a lot of, uh, urban tales that you're fine within, uh, you know, Japanese culture will, uh, which will state that if you hear about this, then this will happen to you in, you know, three days or a month or whatever it happens to be. And, 
I'm always torn. Do I want to even, even though the likelihood of that happening is so minuscule to be nil, almost be nil, do I really want to invite that kind of uh, of chance into my own life? Uh, and it's something that sometimes I'm like, ah, it's fine. And other times I, I just stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny because my wife is uh, kind of the same way that she doesn't even want to watch horror movies. And she's uh, the furthest thing from someone who goes to church every Sunday. But, uh, you know, that is just something in her mind that she has this something in the back of her mind saying, don't invite these sorts of things and watching a scary movie about demons or ghosts or this or that sort of conjures these things. You know, obviously you've watched your fair share of horror movies. You don't feel the same, but it's, that's something that she's strongly, you know, doesn't want to watch any horror movies. Yeah. Uh, in fact, my, my wife, she was the exact same until, um, she noticed that's pretty much all I watched. And then uh, she actually started watching along with me. Now she's really into them as well. Uh, but yeah, I can definitely understand that sentiment, you know, and, and all that much. So, yeah. Uh, you know, and they talk about like during the filming of Amityville horror, things happening on the set. How much of that do you think is reality versus maybe some uh, extra marketing material? Uh, I would I mean, I, 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 yeah, I've watched and heard a lot of those tales uh, on particular sets. You know, strange things happen. Same thing for the filming of the original uh, Exorcist. In fact, I lived maybe three blocks away from the Exorcist stairs that happened to exist uh, right on the border of uh, Georgetown and um, Glover Park areas in D.C. But I think that the vast majority of those tales are always marketing materials because uh, it makes a great story. Oh, hey, we're, we're telling a bad story and then bad things happen to the people that were telling it. Um, but I mean, then again, I wasn't there and I'm not going to say that they're categorically untrue all the time. But I would say take that not with a pinch of salt, but with an entire sack full. <laughs> yeah, I'd agree with you. But uh, it, it, it is powerful. People love to hear that sort of thing. You know what? Let's take a quick break and then we're going to uh, wrap it up. I want to know the scariest thing you've ever seen or heard about. All right, we'll be back right after this. This is Steve Rowan, your host. I hope you're enjoying this show. And if you are, I'd like to ask you to help us expand our audience by giving us a review in your podcast app. I would really appreciate it if you did that. And for doing so, I want to do something special for you. I want to offer you a free 
bonus hour of any one of our previous shows. So if you like the Alien show and you want to hear the second hour or the Disneyland show or the Ouija board show, just take a screenshot of your review and email that to me at editor at spiritsandmoreradio.com and I will email you right back with a link to the second hour of any show you'd like. Thank you for listening and please share us on your Facebook and retweet us. Now back to the show. This is John Kassir, the voice of the Crypt Keeper, and you're listening to Spirits and More Radio. <laughs> and we're talking about demons. We have got, ex- we went extensive on the demons today, don't you think, JJ? Just by a little bit, and that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We got this long list of demons here I'm looking at, and, uh, you know, I just, uh, I don't know. I still I still don't know if I would recognize one by name. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> but uh but yeah, it's uh it's certainly an, a really interesting topic. Uh I would like to see, you know, more evidence as technology has changed. I mean, we're not living, you know, in the 1800s, the 1700s, the 15, 14, 1300s, you know. I mean, we've got We've got ways to video this stuff, you know, and uh, I would like to see far more uh, video evidence of people who uh, claim to be possessed. And also, uh, if there is a, uh, you know, videos of exorcism, I would really love to see one of those. I sort of poked around. If if you know of one, please, like a good one, please put that over to me so I can get that out to everybody too. Uh, but I think as time goes on, there definitely is an expectation that we're going to see more evidence tied to these, um, you know, events that are happening with people, uh, that are categorized as a possession, demonic possession. Uh, and you know, so hopefully that's in our near future. Um, one last question I want to ask you before we wrapped up the show was what is the scariest thing you've ever experienced yourself uh with related to maybe the supernatural and and uh you know probably i mean we can throw it in there it may have been your japan experience but uh if there's other things you've heard of from credible people within your family or your close circle of friends uh that that were just over the top we'd definitely like to hear about that yeah so i would definitely fight that as the um hold on one second sorry Sorry, I thought I was about to sneeze, and I probably am. But um, anyway, so yeah, the Japanese experience was definitely the the strangest um, and most frightening. But I do have a few others. Um, so I am from uh, the smallest town in the state of Tennessee uh, called Sladen. Uh, has a population of about 113 people. So a very small place. Um, I grew up in a, uh, a log cabin that had been in our family for 200 plus years. Um, it had a lot of uh, strange things around it. And the entire land around is dotted with um, old Indian burial mounds. So this kind of like is a, a ripe place, uh, you know, mixed in with human, human suffering and, you know, graveyards every uh, half mile that you happen to travel down the road. So um, no matter where you went, there's a story to go along with it. Uh, but when I was a kid, 
I was actually uh, playing Fright Night with a group of neighbors across the street, and they have there's like four or five kids there. Uh, so we would go over, and this was right around Halloween, maybe two nights before actual Halloween started. Um, We'd go over there. I would dress in the white uh, white towels, uh, try to look like a ghost, and we'd just try to scare each other silly. Um, well, on one of these nights, I went around the back and uh, was hiding, trying to find uh, where all of these kids happened to be, and there was no one around until I happened to turn my head and look into the back of the woods. And this was an area of woods that we locally call the colon um, because it's filled with little small holes that will easily break someone's foot. And I saw someone back there, and it's a really dangerous area to be in. And I thought it was the eldest uh, girl who was maybe two or three years older than I was um, because it was a really kind of bright, shining silhouette um and then i i ran to the house opened the door and everyone was there looking at me like you know wondering where i had been and i turned my head to look back and there's nothing there anymore now what that happened to be i you know i'm not going to say i have no earthly idea but uh it was something that has stayed with me for a very long time though <laughs> Yeah, that you know, those are the those are the kind of experiences that you just you know it's not doesn't take much to realize that you know there isn't really a good explanation for it. Right, exactly, and it it's just that air of mystery and what in the ever living world was it? But the thing is, is that you know with that experience and even with the the Japanese one that I had. They are unique in that they fill you with a very particular sense that something's not right. Uh, it almost feels, you know, slightly alien. Um, and it's those feelings that I don't know if they give it credibility or not. But, you know, that is the, my kind of my litmus test is, is something really kind of going strange here. And if I feel that that fear of the alien, um, then I know at least to me that's good enough to chalk it up to being like a supernatural type of experience. Yeah. Well, the other part of it too, and this is, I don't know if you agree with this with your experiences, but with my, uh, you know, I've had a handful of experiences over my, you know, my lifetime. So uh, we're talking about things that have happened, you know, with five, six, seven, eight, ten 10 year gaps between them. You know, these mm. aren't things going on all the time. This is, these are rare occurrences. Um, but what I've found is that I almost have trouble believing my own self <laughs> of what I saw, you know, after, after some of these events, I've thought to myself, did that just really happen? You know, could that happen? What was there? What, you know, there, maybe there's something I didn't realize I didn't catch. How could that happen? You know, uh, I don't know if you feel the same way, but I almost feel like, uh, it has great significance when someone experiences something completely unexplainable. Uh, it has great significance. You ponder it. It, you know, you maybe can't sleep at night thinking about it. And as time goes on, it sort of slips that gravity of it sort of slips away and slowly fades. Is that the same for you? Or do you still feel that same intense feeling as when it happened? Um, it, it definitely fades, but 
it is still in sharp contrast to the rest of the experiences I had from those, you know, from the surrounding time periods. Uh, I still feel that, you know, gut shot of uh, a fear uh, that hits me like a bullet train. Um, but no, I mean, I definitely question myself and, and I've had a, a, a small handful of these types of experiences too. And I always wonder, is it something my brain cooked up? Was it a random neuron firing in the wrong direction for some strange reason? Or did I really experience that? Or if it happened far in the past, have I kind of like romanticized it and made it into something that didn't actually happen and uh yeah you have to constantly question yourself if you don't practice brutal self-honesty then um you know you live a life unexamined i think yeah absolutely i mean there are people you hear of uh like shadow people i've heard that you know lots of stories about that and just the other day I've, i've moved into a new place and i'm sitting in a in a new place with a window that looks upon a very short bank with dry brush and things like that. (laughs) Not a very pretty view, but uh, just the other day I was looking out the window just yesterday, actually, and uh, I saw that what looked like the shape of a person, okay, but it was dark, no features of a person, just the really rough outline, move across the window quickly. And I thought, you know, just as if you had, you know, witnessed somebody passing by your window that you didn't directly look at. So I sort of saw this dark movement of a person move across my window and I realized that wasn't on the outside. That was a reflection of the inside (laughs) of my house. And I actually, it, it was, it was enough for me to get up and go outside and look down the side of my house and just make sure like a gardener wasn't there or, or my landlord, you know, you know, in the backyard, because I wanted to, you know, investigate a little bit myself and make sure there wasn't a person there, but I don't put much credibility. I'm not going to say I've seen a shadow person based on that, but, uh, it was <clears throat> the closest thing to a shadow person I've ever seen. Oh, wow. Yeah, that would that would have freaked me out just by a little bit, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, hey, listen, uh, thank you for being on the show, JJ. Can you tell people where they can find uh, Southern Demonology so that they can go check that out, too? What You know, the website where they can listen to it, all that good stuff. Absolutely. So uh, if you go to uh, southerndemonology.com, you will find a link to all of our uh, episodes. We currently have eight out there, so it's not a a tremendous amount. Uh, We also have – and then on that page, you'll find links to um, all of our other sites. We have a Facebook account, a YouTube account, which is becoming active, um, and all of our – all of my podcasts are happen to be stored on SoundCloud, so you can actually listen to things directly there or visit the, the link to go directly to the SoundCloud account. So Awesome. Sounds simple to do, and I definitely recommend that. It's one of the shows in my <clears throat> lineup of, uh, of podcasts that I like to listen to, and uh, I think you guys will enjoy it too. Uh, you can find all the uh, past episodes of Spirits and More Radio at spiritsandmoreradio.com. And uh, it's also, you know, our Twitter account at Twitter, uh, at or at uh, Scary Horror News on Twitter is where you can get links to all the up the real time stuff that's happening. But uh, anyway, thanks again, JJ, for being on the show. Really appreciate it. I think people are going to love this one. I really like this show. Uh, I think this went great and uh, appreciate your time. Uh, we're right here at the one hour, 50 minute mark. And uh, we'll leave you guys with uh, simple man, Leonard Skittered. 
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.